Hey everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. I am your editor-producer, D.B. Spitzer, and I guess, I don't know, like, uh, unscary, unfunny crypt keeper. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, things that are scary and sometimes funny, how about that Dracula? It's gonna be some Dracula in this episode. So, uh, you know, protect your throat, yo. Cover your neck, dog. Dracula's in the house, son. Um, yeah. Hope you're all doing well. I'm doing pretty good here. Uh, I've got tapes from Dave, so he was alive at least last week. So, hey. Just a reminder, if you like what you hear and if you hear what you like, why don't you, uh, I don't know, let someone know. Share it if you care about it. Um... Wherever you find your podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about it, play it for your coworkers. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're work friendly. Uh, I mean, Dave's pretty work friendly. Uh, me and the computer, it's it's hard to say at times. But yeah. So, and also, hey, if you wanted to help support the show, besides telling people about it, if if you have some ducats, if you uh, you know wanna wanna chip out some simoleons or some other currency we prefer us dollars because you know um go to pgttcm.com and go to our shop and there's some dave merchandise there and maybe dave have some links to it on uh, dave's corner of the universe and as soon as uh you know this thing's all over i get to hand dave a check for i don't know half we haven't discussed things. I designed it, but he came up with the cool, fun names of everything, and, you know, hey. If you like the podcast, support it. If you have questions for Dave, uh, send it in uh, to Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans on Facebook, and uh, he'll answer your questions. If you have questions for me, contact pgttcm.com, contact, and ask away. And, hey... Uh, not only do I have this podcast, but there is also People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I produce that one as well. And there is also Blacklock Audio Tales. That's a, uh, a weekly. Uh, the other one's monthly. And also another weekly one that I do, or near weekly one that I do, uh, kind of like how Dave's is uh, near weekly, uh, is um, Articulate Warbling, where you get to hear uh, British 20-something-year-olds talk about the movies they're watching and the books they're reading in quarantine. All right. Well, here we go. Part A. That's what the tape says. Part A. Tape A. Hey everybody, this is Dave, and uh, I thought we'd talk about now uh, everybody's favorite Transylvanian vampire, uh, Count Dracula. Now, uh, the idea for this podcast, it actually came to me many months ago when uh, I was told the possibility that uh, a panel might be done for a, uh, a con, and where we were going to, the panel was going to discuss different versions of, of Dracula in our favor. Um, things happen, and uh, uh, the panel wasn't needed, but, but I'd done some research, and I'd made the decision, and I knew which three versions I wanted to talk about. Now, if you know anything about me, I like to be different. I mean, I like to present things from a different angle. I like to bring in different options. And so we may not be dealing with best. Uh, we may, this may not be the best version, but I want to instead maybe three unique different versions of Dracula. In fact, this is probably the, the first one is probably the worst version of Dracula. And there's a lot of bad versions of Dracula out there. But uh, I think I'm going to, uh, you know, die on this hill, and I'm going to say that this is 
a terrible, awful, ridiculous, what are they thinking about version of Dracula. And that is why it's on this list. And that is Count Orlock in Dracula 3000. Now, if you don't know, Dracula 3000 is basically Dracula in space. And it is not a good movie. It is a terrible movie. Is it a so bad it's good movie? Eh, your mileage may vary there, but uh, I think so. Now, like most terrible movies, it's got some good ideas and some bad ideas, but it's got a few good ideas that are not carried out well. And the idea that there is a vampiric organism in space that will take you and convert you and enslave you that's not a bad idea. In fact, if you think about it, that's the whole idea of aliens. And, and Dracula 3000 probably owes more to the alien franchise than it does to the Dracula franchise. But think about it. The Xenomorphs, they, you know, they kill their host, but they create a, a new Xenomorph. And, and in a way, isn't that what vampires do? They kill, you know, they use parts of the body. Maybe the body looks the same, but, you know, the matter, the the molecules, the anatomy of the, you know, the chest buster is from the human beings. So, in ways, alien, the alien xenomorph cycle takes from the vampire. It, you know, the vampire, you know, makes the human its its slave, well, so does the xenomorph, and then it brings out a, a new one. In the same way, I'm going to say, like, Buffy does, where the, the vampire brings in a demon spirit, kills the human host spirit, and then the demon spirit takes over the body. It, it's not too far off. So, so the alien-slash-vampiric creature works, and it's worked since the pulp days, I remember one of the first comic books I got was a bunch of pulp stories from the 50s. And, and it was about a crew that this vampire, that basically they land on another planet. And it was basically like this tree creature. But it was, it would kill the crew members and turn them into other tree creatures like a vampire. There's, again, so campy version of, of space vampires in the Buck Rogers TV show where instead of biting he has like sharp pointy fingers and he and he, he jabs uh, you know Wilma Deering in the neck and she in her uh, you know space cat suit she becomes you know the vampire thrall and, and wife and, and that was a you know for nine year old me that was about the most sexy thing I'd see on TV at the time so Vampires in space, I'm not going to throw out the idea completely. It's going to be done good. It's got to be written well. But it's a possibility. This isn't written well. This is terrible, terrible writing. Now, I, I can't really talk about the movie without spoilers. Um, so there, there are going to be some spoilers here. But then again, unless you're a glutton for really, really bad movies that are unintentionally good, I can't recommend the movie either, so there's that. Now, this came out in 2004, and I honestly thought it was kind of a sequel-ish to, to, at first, or before I saw it, to um, Dracula 2000, which came out in two, 2000. And, and honestly, I like Dracula 2000, it has a lot of problems, but Vitamin C as the Lucy character is amazing. I love that show, if for nothing else, but Vitamin C. Now, Vitamin C is, of course, a, a musician who is only famous for the, the graduation song. Uh, her, her real name is uh, Colleen Fritzpatrick, and, and there's even this kind of 
nod. You know, Dracula 2000 doesn't take itself too seriously because there's a, a scene where they're working at a, a record store and she's actually standing in front of, you know, a, um, a display case full of vitamin C records or CDs. Um, and to me, like I said, I think, I think uh, Colleen or, or Vitamin C did just a great job. Uh, I mean, just a fun job um, as, as a vampire. And, and I think she was a better vampire wife to Dracula than, you know, uh, Jerry Ryan, seven to nine as a, a vampire. So, um, you know, I like it. It's a, it, it's a guilty pleasure, and I get why people don't like it. Like that movie. Um, Dracula 3000 has nothing to do with Dracula 2000. In fact, as near as I can tell, two different production companies, I, I can't find anybody working together, so, so n- no intention. And Dracula 2000 was a low budget vampire movie. Dracula 3000. It's like on the level of a low-budget sci-fi movie. I mean, sci-fi uh, made-for-TV movie. Sci-fi, S-Y-F-Y. You know, not science fiction, the, the sci-fi channel. It's pretty bad. So, um, and sort of, how bad is it? One of the best props is the heroes, and I'm doing air quotes when I say heroes, but... The protagonist of the story, their ship is the Mother 3. Uh, Mother, of course, is the name of the computer and the original alien. There's going to be a lot of alien ripoffs. But the Mother 3 is a decent-looking ship. The reason why is it is the model from the 1993 TV show Space Ranger. So, the... Mother 3 is a salvage ship, and it is going to try to recover a ship it found called the Demeter. And the Demeter, of course, is the Russian ship in the Dracula novel that took Dracula to basically from Eastern Europe to London. And in this case, of course, Dracula is, you know, being transported on the ship, um, and it's a spaceship. And so the the name comes from, you know, the Greek goddess Demeter, who is half alive, half dead. So, you know, I think Bram Stoker picked an excellent choice on what he was going to call the ship in the book. But you got to remember, too is that Bram Stoker, when he was on vacation, saw a Russian ghost ship, a ship that had been completely abandoned by the crew, crash into the shoreline in Ireland or England, I'm not sure where he was, that was called the Dimitri. And that's what inspired him to to write about the Demeter. So, you know, even the title comes from an event that Bram Stoker actually saw. So the crew of the Mother 3 is going to try to salvage the Demeter. Um, and so we've got an alien, not an alien in this case, but we've got a, an abandoned ship, much like, you know, the Nostromo crew discovered, you know, the, the space jockey ship. And I love the crew of the Nostromo because they really are space truckers. They're blue-collar, hard worker people that are basically getting shafted by the company. So these are just basically less interesting or less well acted or you just don't care about the crew of the Mother 3 like you do about the crew of the Nostrum. So one of the crew members, the professor, is basically wheelchair bound. And that makes it very difficult for him. In fact, he has to be carried at different times by members of the crew. And, and again, we see a wheelchair uh, character in, you know, Alien Resurrection. And, you know, I, I kind of... The, the movie didn't go this way. But if I wrote it, 
then I would make this wheelchair guy, and he had to fight the vampires. Well, he turns off the gravity. Then all of a sudden, all this advantage that the vampires are used to, uh, dexterity, heightened speed, and, you know, heightened strength, it, it becomes their negative, and he, you know, his his disability not being able to, to walk is replaced. I think that'd be a great idea. Probably would have cost too much money to make that scene in this movie, so it doesn't happen, but that'd be a great idea. And so the captain of this ship, Captain Abraham Van Helsing, is played by Casper Van Dien, Johnny Rico himself of the, the Starship Troopers. And you're going to really... And again, there's spoilers here. He's sort of this reluctant, well, I don't really believe that I'm descended of vampire hunters, but okay, I've got to do it. So he goes and he has this, you know, noble fight against Dracula. Dracula just cleans the deck with him. And two-thirds or whatever into the movie, then the captain is a vampire. You know, this this is supposed to be our hero, so nope, captain doesn't save the crew. And then, you know, the 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 assistant captain is uh, Erica Ilinka, who played uh, Miss February in Under Siege. Um, her name is Aurora Ash. And um, there's actually a, a pretty decent, you know, where Orlock gets, you know, captures her and doesn't turn her into a vampire. So the crew is very suspicious. Um, and that would be a cool point. It, it's basically revealed that she's an undercover police robot who thinks the crew's up to breaking crime. It would be an interesting point if we had not seen that on Alien, if she did not have the same last name, I mean, that's just lazy writing. She had the same last name as the android in Alien. And, you know, Coolio is in this uh, as a, basically playing it, a char uh, character uh, like Brett uh, in the Alien if Brett was played by Snoop Dogg and his actor was high all the time. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he chews screen. He, he, he loves that scene. Um, you know, so it's kind of fun. Uh, Tiny Lester, who is best known probably for, um, for being the, in uh, The Dark Knight Returns, he's the big African-American criminal that doesn't let them blow up the other boat when the cops want to blow up. Uh, he's in it. Uh, his character's not well written. Uh, but eh, he does okay. Alexandria Camp uh, plays the, the navigator, uh, Mina Murray. She actually, I think, probably does the best job. I think I like her most of the characters. And when she does become a vampire... The makeup is good. She looks good as a vampire. Uh, even though she's a traditional vampire in a coffin. And, um, so that brings to Dracula. We're here to talk about Dracula, though. And I'm waiting for Dracula to come in the movie. And I'm thinking I'm going to see that a combination between Nosferatu and the Xenomorph from Alien. I'm expecting that or possibly maybe maybe a guy in a, in a spacesuit. No, no. He looks pretty much like he's wearing Bela Lugosi's clothes. He, he looks like basically a dude dressing up as Dracula in for Halloween. You remember um uh, in Stranger Things, uh, when Samwise, the guy who plays Samwise, dressed up as Dracula for Halloween, the, he looked more like Dracula than this guy. And, and it's just ridiculous how this guy wearing this basically 18th century tuxedo is chasing around these space truckers. And, and this ridiculously large spaceship. Um, 
And that's sort of, I think, that that's the thing that I thought was the humor. That's why I kind of like this, is it's so absurd. And so the, the last two non-vampire crew members are, are running this ship into these twin sons. Okay, they do the sacrificial thing. They don't have much control because anyone that knows how to fly the ship is dead. And they've got Dracula, uh, or Orlock, which they do say the word Dracula once. They say, hey, this is, is Dracula. Um, is pinned, his, his, his arm is like locked in this big submarine-like door and he's stuck there and he is screaming and he is whining like a little child and a pig and um, the, the surviving characters decide that they're going to uh, uh, make out before the planet blows or the, the ship blows up and, and here is Dracula forced to watch them stuck in this door, screaming in pain, and then the ship blows up. And, and, and for a moment, he's kind of us. We're kind of forced and stuck to watch this movie, and the writer just didn't come up with an ending, and it just kind of blew up on him. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Dracula had... I think Dracula in this movie, I don't know. I think he had less words, you know, than Boba Fett in the original trilogy. And, and again, this silent, non-speaking monster... It, it might have worked. There are some good ideas. Uh, apparently in the year 3000, the only one that is still religious is, is um, the captain, uh, Van Helsing's father. You know, in fact, they don't recognize uh, Crosses. Uh, Coolio, when they find the, the captain of the Demeter, he's got... Uh, uh, a cross, and oh look, it's, he must have been a mathematician because he was into plus signs. I mean, that's actually kind of a good line, but you know, then I think this part's bad writing. They keep calling the crosses crucifix, but there's no Jesus attached to it. it. It's it's a cross. It's not a crucifix, and, and that could be justified. That that's just a word. They don't mean anything to him. I don't think the writers just knew the difference. I mean. This is just so bad that I enjoy it. And I probably enjoy talking about how bad a movie it is much more than I've watched it. I've only watched it one. I probably did watch it on the Sci-Fi Channel. I watched it on some TV show, and it was edited. Um, so that made it worse. But, you know, yeah. So the first Dracula that I'm going to talk about today is the so bad it's worth talking about, if not good, Dracula of Dracula 3000. Or as I like to call it, Dracula in Space. Vampires in Space. Oh man, Dave, that, oof. Oof. That was a rough one, Dave. That's a, ooh, ow, you, hey, so, uh, Sid Smith's got some, uh, Lovecraftian prose coming up. Yeah, Lovecraft. Memory by H.P. Lovecraft. In the valley of Nis, the accursed waning moon shines thinly, tearing a path for its light with feeble horns through the lethal foliage of a great opus tree. And within the depths of the valley, where the light reaches not, move forms not me to be beheld. Rank is the herbage on each slope, where evil vines and creeping plants crawl amidst the stones of ruined palaces. Twining tightly about broken columns, and strange monoliths, and heaving up marble pavements laid by forgotten hands. And in trees that grow gigantic in crumbling courtyards, leap little apes, while in and out of deep treasure vaults writhe poison serpents and scaly things without a name. Vast are the stones which sleep beneath coverlets of dank moss. And mighty were the walls, 
from which they fell. For all time do their builders erect them, and in sooth they yet serve nobly, for beneath them the great toad makes his habitation. At the very bottom of the valley lies the river Tan, whose waters are slimy and filled with weeds. From hidden spring it rises, and to subterranean grottoes it flows, so that the demon of the valley knows that wide's waters are red, nor whither they are bound. The genie that haunts the moonbeams spake to the demon of the valley, saying, I am old and forget much. Tell me the deeds and the aspect and name of them who built these things of stone. And the demon replied, I am memory, and am wise and lure of the past, for I too am old. These beings were like the waters of the river Tan, not to be understood. Their deeds I recall not, for they were but of the moment. Their aspect I recall dimly, for it was like to that of the little apes in the trees. Their name I recall clearly, for it rhymed with that of the river. These beings of yesterday were called man. So the genie flew back to the thin horned moon, and the demon looked intently at a little ape in a tree that grew in a crumbling courtyard. Wow, hey, there's some more stuff about Dracula. If you want to find out what I've had to say about Dracula, you can always check out the back catalog of Black Clock Audio Tales, where David Heath, Ken Height, Andrew Grace, and myself have all talked about Dracula. You can check that out in the back catalog of Black Clock Audio Tales. Also in the back catalog, of course, is Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, Articulate Warbling, and The People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. But hey, we're not talking about me. We're talking about this show and Dracula's and all kinds of good stuff. So here we go with the next thing. So this is Dave and uh, I'm back. And so we're going to do the second part where we talk about Dracula today. And we're going to talk about a specific version of Dracula that I just love. And that's the version of Dracula that appeared in the role-playing game GURPS. Now, I suppose I could talk about almost any role-playing game version of Dracula, but I really like the one that is in GURPS. So, GURPS is, was created in the 80s, and it's a paper and pen role-playing game, where basically you create a character, and the game master creates an adventure. And the thing about GURPS at the time that was so revolutionary is it wasn't set in a specific setting. It wasn't, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was a fantasy. Traveler was space. Uh, Call of Cthulhu was the horror game. But the, the brilliance of GURPS was it didn't have any set setting. So you could do fantasy, you could do science fiction, you could combine them. And it didn't take long for them to get in the direction of of vampires. Uh, They had vampires in their traditional fantasy story. Uh, There were also, uh, they came out with a a really good undead source book, which included vampires and ghosts and zombies and just every different types of undead. Uh, And then they did a really good supplement called Blood Types. And this was for vampire and vampire fighting. And they had all different types of of vampires. From gothic to, you know, science fiction where it came out of a lab. To, you know, the the Chinese hopping vampires. To Nosferatu. And the thing about GURPS and this really about four or five years up till they came up to 4th edition, that was the golden age of GURPS. And, and their their supplements and their books were just amazing. And the research was amazing. Uh, I had a friend who gave his, his history teacher a uh, copy of uh, 
GURPS Aztecs, because Aztecs were, uh, you know, his teacher's specialty, and he just could not, the teacher just could not believe how much detail and accuracy there was in a, a gaming supplement. One other um, GURPS uh, vampire uh, a book that I forgot to mention is that they got the permission to convert White, White Wolf's uh, revolutionary uh, Vampire the Masquerade into the GURPS generic system. And this was a completely different type of vampire than all the other previous books that they had introduced. But it just, it showed too, it showed the respect and pull that GURPS uh, by Steve Jackson Games had in the gaming world that it could pull something like this where it could get another game to let them convert to their, their system. But it also showed the, the versatility that GURPS had that it could adapt, uh, especially something in Vampires. So Dracula gets codified into GURPS in 2002 with the GURPS supplement GURPS Monster. GURPS Monsters was part of their uh, Summer of Horror, and this really was the pinnacle of GURPS. As far as I'm concerned, this was when they were at their best, and it had a re-release of horror, uh, a new cabal, uh, character sheets just for monsters, uh, 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 or I mean for horror fighting, horror characters, uh, monster fighters, and then it had GURPS Monsters. And I remember, you know, going up to uh, my local gaming shop in uh, Ventura, California at the time and having to run some errands and then, you know, stopping at the, the supermarket and, and just spending like 10 minutes before I went into the supermarket just so I could read, you know, GURPS Monster. I, I bought it, you know, the first day it was out or first day I had a chance to buy it. And it was divided into four sections. There was a creatures and mythology section. Uh, there was cryptozoology section. There was, you know, an original section, new monsters that the authors came up with. And then there was also a section on monsters of literature, uh, which is probably my favorite. And uh, it would have things like uh, Grendel, uh, Frankenstein's monster, uh, the Queen of Air and Darkness, and of course, Dracula. There had always been a place for Victorian vampires in, in GURPS, uh, but this is the time that, that Count got his own stats. And it was a pretty strong villain, but if you thought that it should be stronger, there were rules to increase it and make it more powerful. If you thought it was overrated, there were instructions on how to, to make him a less powerful creature. So, I love role-playing games. I love throwing monsters at creatures. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of statting a creature, or in this case, a individual monster, because, you know, Lovecraft was supposed to make these things, the fact that they're undescribable makes them scary. And this turns them from this big, bad, deadly, destructive, seductive force of anarchy nature into numbers. Then why do I love this so much? Well, of all the versions out there of Dracula, none of them have personally tried to kill me except for this version. And it wasn't that the GURPS version tried to uh, kill me. I mean, it's not like I thought it came to life from the pages and tried to destroy me. Uh, although although that, that would be a pretty cool story. Um, no, but it did try to kill, you know, one of my 
you know, author avatar RPG characters, you know, a version of myself uh, in any game, a, a, a Jake that I make. And so what this version of Dracula did is it broke it down into numbers for me that my mind could understand, but it also scared me. I had this character that I created, I sympathized, I put him in somebody else's adventure, and then he is going to come and try to kill part of my character. I felt real fear. And, and you can argue that, I mean, we've done GURPS Vampire Hunters, I play, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, and, and so you can argue that any role-playing vampire, a role-playing game vampire, gave me this vicarious, which was physically a real fear. I got fight-or-flight response. I'm going to destroy this thing. Uh, I felt that it was threatening me. What is it? Vampires just don't do as much in books or movies. I don't like jump scares. I find them, I jump, but I don't enjoy being scared and tricked into jumping. Um, I find the vampire, I mean, if a vampire is seducing a victim, it can be interesting, it can be story, but sometimes it's just badly written. This time, I had a personal investment. Now, I suppose that I could also say any sort of Dracula uh, RPG character would also fulfill this, but this is the one I've had the most experience with. And, you know, I've gotten, you know, uh, Ken Height's uh, amazing Dracula file for uh, uh, Knight's Black Agents. Great. Uh, it looks like a lot of a lot of work, obviously a lot of work's been put in this. Uh, good character, just very creative. But I've had it for six months. I've read it. I'm looking for someone to play. I'm not... But this I've been playing for decades. Um, and, you know, same thing. There was a, uh, a case where uh, Dracula shows up in one of my old... Uh, original first edition Vampire of the Masquerade game and where he actually disguises himself as a Nosferatu uh, justicator and he's putting the players on on trial for, for ostensibly teaming up with a mage but he's basically trying to get his agenda and the player's agenda in the same direction and um, I mean they're in the same direction in the same path and basically score political points for for him and the characters and so he's disguised as this this Nosferatu uh, and uh, he's actually controlling the court and since he knows he's going to rule in their favor despite this whole game is this like trial that sounds like they're going to lose and their political leaders are finally hey we finally got one on these these you know pains these thorns on our neck and and then at the last moment he's going to decide for them and they're going to be politically ahead in this great political game of of politics that the, the vampires are fighting and, and one of the players nearly ruined it and he just sort of saying well how do i know you're not dracula you're not citing this and, and I had to sort of give him hints that you're on to something or you're going to, if you keep this up, it's going to turn things because you're, 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 you're giving it the plot away that you didn't know about to your enemy. Uh, and he was like, oops. So, you know, I love that version of Dracula too. But this version of, all, I mean, I've played uh, GURPS for decades longer than I've played, you know, uh, White Wolf's uh, of Vampire the Masquerade, and, and I like the fact that every little thing you can just create, so things that are not 
normally in the rules you can give to Dracula. So you can see the things that where, where Bram Stoker sort of mentioned, oh, he can change sides or he can walk up a wall like a spider. Don't really see Dracula doing much of that. Don't see him you know, growing or shrink. But Bram Stoker throws it out. So you can give this. It's much more tailored. Especially since Dracula's not a beginning character. You don't have to give him, you know, 100 points plus 40 disadvantages, five quirks, and, uh, oh, we'll give you an extreme uh, dangerous duty. No, you can basically spend whatever you want. So I really like this version of Dracula because there's there's three versions in the game. The, The low power, the medium, and the high power. I mean, three versions in the book. So I like that in that you can tweak it. And, you know, um, and Dracula doesn't necessarily have to appear. Uh, I did a uh, uh, a weird World War II uh, Detachment 23 where during the Blitz they're trying to get all of these artifacts that are hidden under London in the underground uh, magic artifacts to the United States before they get destroyed and the bombing accidentally releases something um, and it has um, the remains of, of Lucy there um, so Dracula is you know, basically behind the scenes trying to manipulate things so he can get his lover back um, and they ended up Staking her, but uh, by there was by jamming a crossbow in her, uh, not a crossbow, a crowbar in her body first. So later on, you know, years later, when the the same players, different characters were playing uh, Warehouse Twenty Three, you know, in the early two thousands, uh, they come across the ashes of a vampire who has a you know a cro- uh, a crowbar stuck inside her. Uh, left over from what their characters in the earlier game did. And, and I just love that, that GURPS allows you to do that. So, uh, definitely my, my number two, and I'm not sure if favorite's the right term, but the number two Dracula I want to talk about, or just did, is GURPS Dracula. The following is an original piece by Scott Ols. And those of you who have been paying attention, keeping track, keeping score, know that Scott has a Kickstarter that is Go for Maximum Apocalypse. If you heard Dave talking to Scott about that, or Scott talking to Dave about that, or Scott just talking about it, hey, it's Go. Just like Thunderbirds. As I stared blindly into the unforgiving light of the new moon, I felt the promise of a future full of hope and despair. In the cloudy sky it seemed to be written that all things that were and will be are one. The sins of my past were portents of action I would take, and events that would come to pass. Around me the trees swayed and spoke in a voice of wind and leaf, a voice of words I could not hear in a language I did not understand. And yet the voice urged me forward, deeper into the grove which clawed wildly at my night clothes, already soiled in muck and gore from a source I did not know. Leaving behind the life that had been mine, I followed the prompting of the trees, walking forward as if on a guideline attached to my body that was bringing me to safety at the end of a long journey in the dark. With each step I heard the words in my head, words that reminded me of something I had once read in a book, but whose meaning I did not comprehend. These words came to my lips in that October night as I walked barefoot through the woods covered in the carnage of someone I did not remember. But these words would not escape from my bloody teeth. They felt trapped on my tongue, waiting until they could burst forth and release themselves. Finally, I reached that clearing in the center of the grove, the place where the trees urged and where the unrelenting light of that empty moon illuminated the eldritch dealings in a place wildly known for its witches' sabbaths. 
and as I came through the foliage, I found myself surrounded by my brothers and sisters, each as disheveled as myself. It was then that I realized I was no longer alone, that I was where I was always meant to be, surrounded by those who understood me. In that moment, I realized I was home with family, at the source from which I had come long ago. And in that spectral light of the darkest night, I felt those words that had dwelt upon my tongue become free, and I turned my head toward Mother Moon to howl up to her. Looks like we're in the closing stretch, everyone, of this episode. Uh, be in search of some cool stuff coming up. Who knows? Uh, who knows? Anyway, um, here's Dave with some more stuff, and then I'll be back in a little bit for closing credits. Here we go. So we're talking about Dracula today, and this would be three versions of Dracula that I wanted the most to talk about. wouldn't necessarily say that I like the most or are my favorite, but they're the three I wanted to talk about. And the third for today is Vlad the Impaler, uh, Vlad Tepes, the inspiration at least for the name Dracula. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to sort of jump back and say, I know that I was first cogitant of the character of Dracula when I was five years old. And I know this. Uh, did you guys just hear that? Uh, that's Baby Goat. Uh, yes, that is the dangers of recording on a real live working goat farm. I'm not sure if that was Sonia or if that was maybe uh, her brother uh, Solomon, but you may hear some goats in, in the background. But where was I before the, these cuties interrupted me? Oh, okay. So I know that I you know, was cognizant of, of Dracula as a character when I was five years old. And that's because my first memories of Dracula come from a TV commercial for Dracula AD 1972. It is so nice of Hammer to put the date in on their title so we can know exactly when when we saw it. And that commercial for for that movie, I haven't to this date I haven't seen the movie actually, but that commercial so scared me when I was five years old uh, that it really sort of locked in my mind how much a killer is. Because Dracula can be because we know just from these commercials he's going to kill all these women and that really stuck with me that I remember it even now so that's that's what I, and after that then I, you know Dracula became Bela Lugosi to me it became you know the Dracula on cartoons you know the 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 Ghostbusters with you know Terry the Gorilla, or you know the monster um, movies. It became you know Scooby Doo cartoons. That's where Dracula started filling in after the the Dracula AD 1972 commercial. Now I become aware of of Dracula the historical character when I am in junior high school and this is from that wonderful cheesy so 1970s series in search of with Leonard Nimoy and when I was in junior high school I'm sure I saw the episode with you know in search of Dracula I am sure that I saw that um, and but what I do remember is that my elementary or not my my junior high school library had an in search of book that had a bunch of episodes and this one was focusing on historical event episodes like you know Dracula but also um the uh you know the disappearance of Amelia Earhart and I remember definitely reading the in the parts in the chapter about historical Dracula. And that's where 
Vlad the Impaler becomes a real person slash character to me. Last night in preparation for this audio, uh, I went on YouTube and I watched that In Search of episode again. And it's this wonderful mishmash of just random historical facts, many of which have been disproven. You know, uh, many things have changed. Uh, you know, Romania was a socialist country back then, and they talk about it having to film, you know, in, in socialist Romania. And um, so it's just geography, it's all sorts, you hear the goats? It's all sorts of things that are just all thrown together. Um, and a lot of it's, the archeology's span been disproven, but it's interesting, but it's not really coherent. It's just a bunch of random facts. And in the last you know, quarter or so, Spock starts talking about, you know, Dracula, the, um, the, the book character, and I'm not sure what sort of deal they had to cut, but they couldn't show really, you know, Bela Lugosi um, photos, so it was all, you know, from, from Nosferatu. So it's worth it, you know, if, if you're interested, but it, it's not very coherent. So the big thing about Vlad Tepes or Vlad the Impaler or Vlad the Third or Vlad Dracula that differs from Bram Stoker's character is Vlad is not a count. He's a, a via vode. And in fact, he's via vode three times. And that's roughly king. So he is either a prince or a king of a very small country his entire life. He's, he's not a count. I'm not even sure, you know, 1400s, there was the rank of count. I, I don't know. But he was an account. And though the place that he comes from is later going to be part of Transylvania, and then even later part of Romania, he's not Transylvanian because Transylvania doesn't exist yet. Uh, it's Wallachia. And this is, I think, going to surprise a lot of people. But if you had to historically put tags to, to represent who Vlad was, um, you know, ruler, warrior, one of the first tags you're going to have to associate him with is surprisingly Christian. He is very influenced by his Orthodox Christian upbringing. Now, he is going to be this terrible murderer, but people at the time are going to think of him as being a holy man. And the reason why he is this holy man is he fights Turks. You know, Christianity is associated with this time with killing Muslims. And that's one of the ways you, you show that you're pious is you kill Muslims. And, and that's one of those things that stuck with me in, in that in search of book that I was reading in the seventh grade is that many people in Eastern Europe are, are going to consider Dracula a saint because he fought a holy war for them. So let's go on where, where the name Dracula comes from. So, so Vlad's father is the leader of a band of Christian knights. They are the Order of the Dragon. So the father is called, because he's the leader of the Order of the Dragon, he is the dragon. So he is Vlad Dracul, Vlad the dragon. His son is then Vlad, the son of the dragon, Vlad Dracula. And that's where the word comes from. And it means he is the son of the dragon. Now, some people are going to say, well... Dracu is means the devil. And my so it could be translated Vlad the son of the devil. I am not a linguist, but the way I understand it, even 
in the King James version of the Bible, dragon is used sometimes to replace devil. You know, the, when it talks about the the dragon uh, dragging a thou or a third of the stars of heaven with him to hell. So that's when he started sort of associating dragon and the devil. But my understanding is that it basically stands for, literally translates, son of the dragon. Now, 15th century Eastern Europe is going to be this rather violent place. And Vlad is going to stick out for the degree of violence that he commits. I mean, he's called Impaler for a reason. He impales his enemies. But it's not going to be exclusively the Turks. If Vlad Tepes fought only Muslims, I think we'd have a very sort of rosy picture of him, no matter how violent he was, no matter how prone he was to torture, he would have been seen as heroic. But he also fights other Christians, especially uh, the German-backed boyars. So we get these stories, and they're probably some made up, probably some of them absolutely true, but we get these stories that he's this bloodthirsty, terrible person from his enemies, his Christian enemies. The, the Turks actually have a degree of respect for the guy because he's violent, he's bloodthirsty, he's a, he's a hard, tough warrior. But at least as far as the Turks are concerned, he keeps his word, they understand him. He's, he's actually going to grow up as a, a prisoner, as a, a hostage. So his father is going to send Vlad to the Turks to raise him. And so he's basically insurance that the Wallachians won't invade the Turks because if they do, then they'll, they'll kill the king's son. So he grows up with, he keeps his Christian religion, he keeps his Christian identity, but he grows up with a very sort of Eastern ascetic, a sort of Eastern point of view. And he is, like I said, he is this terrible torturer, but he, he keeps his word in many cases, at least diplomatically and as a king. He, he uses, you know, poison. He poisoned wells. Uh, he attacks civilians. You know, he uses torture. And, and I'm not supporting that in any way. But those are war crimes now. He's pretty much business as usual in the 14th century. And he keeps, you know, he keeps getting in power and out. And so the stories of his cruelty, and, and I have no doubt that they're, they're real, they start circulating when he's not in power. Uh, and especially by, you know, his German-speaking enemies. And, and I'm not defending his actions, but I'm not saying that the people that are spreading these stories about him are any better. And that's one of the things that sort of really you know, caught my attention as a seven-year-old reading this book, uh, that in search of book is, 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 you know, in junior high school, is that the Romanians see him as this folk hero who fought off, you know, the Turks, but, you know, even other Christians. And so they consider him a holy warrior. Now, this, we see a little bit this, I think, surface, in um, the the 1980s, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where you know we see him as this knight who his wife commits suicide and so he curses God, but that is usually not. It's it's a more modern interpretation, but it's also a very true interpretation of Dracula the man. Now, again, I'm not endorsing what he does. And, you know, 
my, I have this saying, heaven save us from the believers. People who think that they're on holy missions are often much more dangerous and destructive than people who, who don't have faith. But he felt, despite these terrible, sadistic, bloody tortures that he did, he was Christ's agent on earth. So Dracula, Vlad Tap's Dracula, is going to see as a, this very bloodthirsty, violent, impaling man who comes from a land that historically the vampire legends come from. But it's going to be Bram Stoker, the first person who puts them together. Nobody in, you know, it's in Dracula's lifetime is saying, oh, this guy's a vampire, or, you know, this guy is it's not good, or some sort of blood magic, like uh, they accuse uh, uh, Bathory with. In fact, uh, my understanding is that the first draft of, of the book Dracula, he's not referred to as Dracula. He as uh, as Count Vampire, and he's the that's his name. Um, and it's not until close to publishing time that he settles on Dracula. And and I've heard different theories about where he's got the name. Uh, I do understand that um, uh, Bram Stoker did have Romanian roommates in college and that they might have mentioned in stories. Um, It's possible that he just did not know the name until he um, started doing research. And and like I said, it was close into the second draft. Um, There doesn't seem to be really that Count Dracula is supposed to be Vlad Dracula. I mean, yeah, it kind of ties together, but more or less, he stole the name. He, He gave Vlad Dracula's name to Count Dracula, as opposed to stealing the person and making him Count Dracula. Count Dracula and Vlad Dracula are two separate characters. Besides the fact that one was a real living human being and the other was a work of fiction, they're two different types, they're two different characters. Now we've attempted to sort of tie them in together, but I don't think that, I I, I don't think Stoker really meant to do that or was trying to. He just found a cool name that he could sell stories with. So I just, I want to, I could actually go in and and talk about, you know, uh, Vlad and history for a long time. And we're kind of drawing it to the end. It's it's been a, a good, not too long, but it's been a good long time for this particular episode. Uh, I really, really want to thank uh, Sid and Russ for volunteering to, to, to read in our affection sex section, and uh, Scott Ullis, who uh, wrote uh, one of our short stories that was read today. Uh, just keep in mind that his uh, horror RPG, Maximum Apocalypse, is going to is out at least as a a beta version and should within like a month and a half you should be able to get the the full version uh until then apparently i've got some little goats here that are telling me that they need to get fed all right go feed those goats dave hey everyone thanks again for listening to dave's underground goat shenanigans i have been your announcer slash editor db spitzer telling you check out dave's underground goat shenanigans here at pgttcm.com don't forget about articulate warbling and people's guide to the cthulhu mythos dave's corner of the podcast you know what i've got some stuff coming up later this month we've got ken height talking about some stuff uh, let's see i think we're talking about ghouls and yeah i've got all kinds of neat things coming up for next month and i'm gonna try and throw in some more wizard of oz for people who are interested in that who are listening to black clock audio tales and dave's got some stuff coming up too 
really, really cool stuff coming up in the works that he's been talking about. I'm excited about episode 10. I'm excited about episode 4 eventually coming out. I've, I just got another tape the other day. I, I'm not quite sure if Oleander has some sort of time warp or what, but hey. Remember, you can listen. You can listen. You can listen wherever you want. But you can subscribe wherever you feel. I don't know what that means. It sounded cool at the time. But subscribe where you subscribe. Give five stars where you give five stars. Rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to Dave's podcast. I'm really glad to help Dave put it together. And yeah, yeah. uh, Stay safe and be safe. And also, one final, 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 final announcement. Uh, Special thanks uh, to Sid Smith, Russell Whitaker, and H.P. Lovecraft. Um, And again, uh, Scott Oles for being part of the show. Everyone, 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 you're awesome. Thank you. We couldn't do it without you. Here's to more Dave's Underground Go shenanigans. (laughs) 